Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Live, it's been a while. Uh, we have a very, very special episode. It's a collaboration with the Greenshaw Learning Trust Book Club. We had an, uh, an episode last year. It's taken one whole year to do this episode. It's been one year in, this, in, in the making. And MatchAt Live is um, an organic experience, visceral, responsive thing. So it's live and it's on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. So wherever you tuned in from, if you have any thoughts, just uh, reply with a comment. You'll have to be logged into those things and we'll have a look and we'll put the question to the panel. So it's driven by you. You can even change the direction of the whole conversation, mm-hmm. uh, just like responsive teaching. So um, yeah, we'll do a very quick round of introductions and we'll get cracking. Uh, so I'm Atul, uh, I'm an online tutor, I teach maths uh, all over the world really, uh, from yeah, year one to year 13. Also host Math Chat Live. Uh, over to you, Dave, yeah. Thanks Atul, um, I'm Dave. I'm a lead practitioner in a school in Bristol. I've been teaching about 20 years and uh, yeah, just can't wait to get stuck into this. And Rhiannon. Hi, Rhiannon Rainbow. Um, I work in the same trust that Dave does, but I work across all of our secondary schools. So it's a very privileged position to be in, um, focusing on maths and uh, of course, running the book club with Dave um, and getting these great opportunities as well. So thank you once again for this. It's all about the book club and books and finally over to you, Sunil. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm horrible at introductions because um, I always forget some key uh, things. But uh, um, so, yes, my name is uh, Sunil Singh. Uh, I'm the author of Chasing Rabbits uh, and two other books, uh, Math Recess and Pie of Life, which was my first book. And all these, all these three books were written after I left uh, education. I was a math, physics and occasionally English teacher for 19 years. Uh, up until 2013, and uh, I left uh, the system for many reasons, but I think that the one which was the most important was that I was dissatisfied with the way that um, students were learning mathematics and uh, the culture and the atmosphere around it. It wasn't a safe and caring environment. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. And then, you know, three books later, and I also... uh, work as an advisor at Amplify, which is an uh, American company based in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And I help um, bake and curate in um, the storytelling narrative, which you know obviously was a part of Chasing Rabbits into their K-12 platform. So storytelling, the idea of math history and narrative has become um, even more pronounced, uh, definitely over here in North America. And uh, if I could just add one more thing, because I had a meeting recently, uh, I'm a, the on the board of directors of the Human Restoration Project, which is a nonprofit organization which looks at humanizing education. And uh, so very excited about the work I do there um, in terms of, again, humanizing education, but also humanizing mathematics. So it's right in my sweet spot of the things I'm doing right now in 2022. That's a fantastic introduction. And we've been talking in the in the green room, or as I call the backstage area, we are in for a absolute cracker organic deep philosophical <laughs> big picture stuff 
stuff that I absolutely love and uh, I'm sure you love it out there as well so um, yeah so I'll, I'll hand over to uh, Rhea and Dave as our standard book club episode do take it from there do do what you must yeah oh thank you so much um, I always I always love these ones where we join up with you as well and you you help us to be that 10% braver at all to to live to live stream it and, and give us your support as well and to be able to be joined by yourself too Sunil I mean as you as you mentioned there just off as as you were thinking about it some of the things that you've done and that depth of awareness thought understanding and, and when we we're in the in, in the green room some of the really deep philosophical thinking that came out almost straight away it was i i think it was going to be in for an absolute treat this evening not not just from the the joys that i've had dipping into your book and it's a sheer pleasure to be reading that when i'm working through it myself um so you've you've done an incredibly impressive introduction already so what I, I suppose what it is for me to do is say that this is actually our 47th session. Wow. Um, it, it's brilliant. 47 is a pretty nice number. I think it's, it's a, a prime, prime number. number. Yeah, go with that one. Yep. <laughs> I'll go with that one. So it's a really, really good one to be having this evening. Um, and of course, it's our second one where we've linked up with you as well at all. So that's another special prime number. But what I'll do now then is I'll um, hand over to Dave because it's, it goes without saying why we would be discussing your book this evening. And, 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 but Dave will help to just give a little bit more um, depth and, and, and thinking around that for other people so they can hear how it links with some of the other work that we've done and also why this specific section that we're focusing on as well, which was a pretty difficult choice, if I remember rightly, Dave, trying <laughs> to do the section for today. So I'll hand over to Dave and then um, we'll be passing back to you, if that's OK, Sunil, because we just really want to hear as much from you as possible tonight. So Absolutely. over to you, Dave. Uh, and thanks so much, Sunil, for, for giving us um, your time tonight. It's just such a pleasure to be able to talk with you um, about, about the book. And, um, and, and straight away, I've got a takeaway for the book, which um, is um, around living in quadrant two. Um, and there's a, there's a graph um, that talks about things being important but not urgent and, and some of the other things that might fall into that category as well, like building relationships. But that's become a little bit of a sort of mindfulness for me. Um, I'm somebody who's quite an anxious person generally and, and everything feels really urgent. And, and I enjoy maths, but, but I get worried about failure and I get worried about um, you know what other people might think, not getting it right. and. Um, and it's just sort of um, helps me to, to really reframe the way I think about the subject that I love. Um, and uh, and that, that for me was a real sort of um, clincher for wanting to, to explore a lot deeper um, some of the messages mm. in the book and um, just that meaning without anxiety that you can get. And then you can, and, and then you, you, you succeed more often. You, you have um, that sort of greater level of success with the mathematics you're doing because um, you're curious, you're trying things that maybe you wouldn't try before and, and you can link with other people, you can link ideas together and all these ideas are in the book, um, of course. Um, but it made me think then about how I could pass this on to the students that I teach and, and support that maths anxiety and what, what I could do, do in the classroom to support that. And, and at the moment, the book, what it's done for me is it's almost sort of reframed my mathematical personality um, in the classroom. It's, it's maybe thinking a different way. So rather than going, oh, I'm going to try this thing, I'm going to try that thing. It's, it's almost like a different approach to, to the students, to the subjects I teach. Um, and I just think that that is um, a real sort of plus from, from the book for me that's really helped my, my progress in, in my, my mathematics teaching. 
Um, so, so it sort of gives you a little idea of sort of why we've chosen it. I think the way the book's written, um, the, the narrative is just gripping. Uh, you can really immerse yourself in in this sort of um, you know way of thinking, but really enjoy the mathematics that's in there as well. Um, and and just the little quotes that you have throughout the book are just um, sort of sort of grip me. The idea. I, I, forget the quote now but it's something along the lines of um one person saying what if i fail and the other person saying what if you fly um and it's uh, and it's those sort of little um quotes that go through that just as i'm as i'm reading um i just go oh yeah that will make sense that's the way i need to be thinking about this and and so so i guess for me um what i'm looking forward to getting from this session and um and, and Rihanna likewise is, is to find out how we can support our students with any mass anxiety how we can Sort of build the love for mathematics because uh, there's another quote in there I think that says something like maths um, the students don't find maths hard they find it boring I, I think and, and so how we can make it more interesting for them as well um, but, but Sunil I'm, I'm just going to hand over to you to, to talk because um, I think we just need to, to listen to you really I, I can't wait to, to hear um, about your thoughts about the book. Well you said something very interesting Dave thank you so much um, some, about uh, reframing your personality and that is actually, um, um, I, I would say, a pretty important idea, at least implicitly, that was sort of through the book, is that before we can uh, change the mindset and attitude of our students, um, we have to change ours organically. Uh, and that's a key word, organically. It, uh, it, it shouldn't be ham-fisted. It shouldn't be a thou shalt. It shouldn't be something which you know, some sort of directive or initiative because it's the flavor of the month, it has to occur um, organically. And when you talked about reforming your personality, I'll be even more specific because you've already, you said some words which sort of fell from, uh, you were talking, you know, love for mathematics. Um, one of the things which I did not uh, directly quote in the book, but was definitely on my mind was uh, uh, the work of Alfred North Whitehead, uh, mathematician, philosopher, um, uh, English uh, mathematician philosopher um, who wrote the book Aims of Education in 1929, but his ideas for it probably uh, before that. And um, one of the things that we unfortunately don't do very well is to look at our past because we think everything in the past must be um, archaic or anachronistic and has no use to us going forward. In fact, many ideas of even a hundred years ago are were just never implemented and were ahead of their time. So one of the things uh, Alfred North White had talked about was the rhythm of learning, the three stages of learning for any subject. And I'll just, I'll just uh, reveal them backwards. It's <laughs> some sort of cryptic sort of story. The, the last stage is generalization. Um, we want in adulthood. And we want kids to generalize whatever they've learned and to apply into real life conversations and interactions and social things like that. And the stage before it is precision. Um, which is occurs in youth. Now with mathematics, we definitely want that precision component there um, for kids to be very mindful in terms of their arithmetic and algebra and to have a deep understanding of every single step they take and why they've taken it. The first stage is romance though. And what we've done, unfortunately, everywhere, we've doubled down on precision and put it into elementary. And what has resulted is just a house of cards now of learning. That's why it all falls apart because we didn't ever install formally that uh, stage of romance, which is just about awe, curiosity and wonder, which is, which is completely in line with what childhood is. 
childhood is, is, is this amazing, imaginative, fantastical state of being. And don't rush the precision. It will come. They will ask the questions about precision. But romance, if you skip it, then everything else is going to fall apart. And as we have to, and so if that's the first stage, then the first responsibility of teachers in that stage is to romance the students with mathematics. But then the stage before that, going full circle to what you said about, uh, you know, perhaps reforming one's personality is we have to be seduced by mathematics. If we've never been seduced by, like one of the things I, I, I ask teachers and your answer is honest, I go, why do you teach mathematics? Is it your job responsibility? Is it like, whatever it is, it's the honest answer, but I wanna know what it, why it is. And I'm not sure if, if especially go further down into the elementary panel, it's because they love mathematics. And you don't have to be good at mathematics. Like that's the other thing too, that a lot of people think that, oh, if you love something, you must be good at it. That's not true at all. Um, I love music. My next book is about music, but I can't play a musical instrument. My singing stopped in seventh grade when I was like 12 years old. I mean, I was in the choir. Um, so this book was also like, okay, here's how I sort of fell in love with mathematics. And I also purposely included um, my own story. Uh, and sometimes I went like, you know, the, the narrative drifted from the math, but I did it on purpose because for me to illuminate mathematics means it needs the spotlight to be on other things. Like mathematics is a part of our life. It's, it's embedded in me. I like it like I was, you know, I like, I like soccer, football, or music, or cooking, my kids, everything. It's, it's intertwined in me. I, it's, not a, it's not a game face I put on from nine to three when I was teaching and then come home and don't think about math. I, can, I, can, I don't even have to do a math problem to think about mathematics. And that goes to also one of the things I want to mention that I think is very important as teachers. Like one of the things you can actually do in the classroom, and it's the easiest thing you can do. Easy in terms of the math, but maybe not easy in terms of uh, vulnerability is do a math problem for the first time in front of kids. Like don't, like when do we show our mathematical thinking? We don't, we do it in the math office. We do it at home, we do it in the car ride. And so when we present our solutions to students, it just comes automatically. It comes too quickly. We already have the three, four different strategies available to us. I don't think that's very um, um, honest because that's not how mathematics works. How mathematics works is like, okay, here's a problem. I have no idea what to do. I'm stuck. And that's been the historic development of mathematics. And I only did that in my latter half of, of, I'd say the last three years of my career. The first year of teaching, my first year of teaching, uh, I was, uh, I actually was teaching a calculus class in my first year. And I only assigned the problems that I could do. So I made sure, okay, uh, Sunil can do number eight, nine, 14A. Okay. Uh, Okay, uh, those are the ones I'm going to assign because I know how to do them. Uh, by the end, I, and, and that's the other ironic thing, is like it took me 10, 10 years to, 10 times before I finally go, okay, I think I understand calculus. I, I, I think I, can, I understand calculus to put my own spin on it. 
to tell my own story of it. And I would assign all the questions or just, okay, here. And I knew that there'd be a couple of questions that kids would ask that they couldn't do. And I, I would do them for the first time in front of them. And um, sometimes I got halfway through, but it was my real time struggle. And I wasn't faking it. I go, I, I'm not sure. I mean, did we, did we set up the right function here? Um, are we missing something? Like I'm talking out loud and that kid, that only got the kids more interested in mathematics because of that. So the the book is a i think a real uh sort of uh story of how i see mathematics and just uh would like it to uh, exist in our society um because we i mean and i guess anyone who is uh watching and uh you know loves mathematics maths i have to get used to that i, I think we say what well, pluralizing math to be math is correct as opposed to saying math because you don't say mathematic right um, that's just an aside for me um but we're very we're blessed to see the world through a mathematical lens like it, we're so lucky like why do you think we most of us smile all the time right and then the goal then is to have that um be equitable and accessible to all students and not to partition them in certain streams and these students are going to do like you know i think in the british a levels or things whatever we have all every part of the world has stratified systems and i i don't that's stratified because we never gave all the kids the same opportunity to fall in love with mathematics right that's the it's really the first stage went missing it went completely like off the rails. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything you want to add in at this time and just sort of surf and riff off of my own kind of just opening, but uh, I'd love to hear just any comments that uh, any of the, you might have right now. Well, I got one um, comment about my own uh, planning, um, just very quickly, where if I've not planned very well, I have done a lot of that modelling in front of them, maybe uh, not deliberately. Uh, <laughs> so I do, I can empathise with that. Um, but no, I really, I really like that idea of, um, of sort of um, going through that um, healthy struggle with the students and, and showing them that, that it's all about, um, I think there's an analogy in the, in the book about um, sort of being in the dark and, and looking around yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and feeling the furniture and all of a sudden the lights go on when you when you yeah, get yeah. the get the links and you can see how it all fits together and uh, and i think there's really something in that of being with the students talking about sort of what's not quite working and why that might not be quite be working and, and, and narrating that with them i think there's um there's huge value in that in that the the, the cure like that's the other thing too is that the, the intrinsic curiosity for uh numbers and pattern making is I th we're all born with it uh we're all born for like i mean the universe is made of mathematics everywhere right um and i and i didn't put this in the book but so my stage of romance um and i'm gonna I, i'm writing an article for nctm which stands for the national council of teachers of mathematics which is the largest math organization in uh, north america and uh, I'm writing an article for them um, about romance, very short article, but it's, most of it's about my, uh, my official stage of romance. I didn't even really recognize it 
was when I was eight years old and um, we had moved to Canada in 1970. And I was born in Australia, Hobart, Tasmania. And uh, in 1972, we moved into our first uh, house, a semi-detached house uh, just north of Toronto, uh, here in the province of Ontario. And you know, with an old with a house you move into, there's always some things which are intentionally or unintentionally left behind. Um, and in what would be my future bedroom, uh, it's almost like now looking back, like it it's almost seems too unbelievable a story to be true. There's only one thing left in my bedroom and that was in the closet. And uh, it was a math book that said 12 mathematics, which meant it was 12th grade. So 12th grade is our final grade in high school. And I was, I'd be going into third grade. Now I could read and I, I remember picking up the book and I love the smell of old books, that musty smell. It's got that sort of scent of wisdom and just, uh, it's, it's, I like, I love that smell. And uh, I, I remember going through the book and I could read it all. And I knew it was a math book and I knew 12 stood for 12th grade, but I understood none of it, obviously, right? I understood none of it. I, uh, all the brackets, all the, you know, parentheses and F at X, G at X and, uh, and none of it made sense to me. And I remember coming across the word log and I go, oh, I know what log is like, you know, it's like a stump you sit on, but it's obviously not the same log because I would see this log uh, in front of all these numbers I recognized and it produced a result which didn't make sense to me like, at all. So none of it made sense to me, but I remember going, not like, oh, I'm gonna, I wanna, I'm gonna know this as quickly as possible. I'm gonna spend my summers, I'm gonna figure it out. I had the sense to go, you know what? One day, about nine years from now, I will understand this. So I was in romance. I had no interest in precision. And that's really in a very, um, casual way is what romance looks like. Right? That's what it looks like. It's it's if it, it, it's almost Shakespearean the tragedy. If you want to get to where you want students to be in mathematics, it's almost the the the, the fable, the tortoise and the hare. You know, be the tortoise. So it it it, it I and there's other things which happen too, but and uh, or 1977. The Guinness World Book of Records. Uh, I used to, I, I love that book and I got uh, one for Christmas, that one, 1977. Uh, I still have it somewhere here. Um, and all the records are fascinating, but I was fascinated by um, this numbers record, uh, uh, the, the largest number ever used in a, in a math problem, which was Graham's number. And again, I could read, but I was going, and there was all this arrow notation, uh, which was a, uh, Knuth's arrow, and which of course I didn't know. And again, I didn't understand Graham's, I still understand Graham's number. It's very, it's, it's it, I mean, I get it a little bit, but it's, it'll make your head implode like a black hole. Um, I think as some of the number file guys pointed out, they got a couple of videos on uh, the Graham's number, but it was just the, it was the lore of large numbers, right? Like, I think that's another way to grab kids early on is to get them to think about numbers like how big they are and you know like the size like you know how many uh, grains of sand are there on earth or how many drops how many atoms hydrogen atoms are there in a you know water molecule in a uh, size of the universe like, that's what got me like that we could measure 
largeness. And um, even like the um, the Mersenne Prime, I think the 51st Mersenne Prime uh, was found uh, 20, 2021. And uh, I forget the exponent, um, but I think it was 77 million or something like that. To the exponent, 77 or 81 million. And what I love about, because my daughter was into primes back then, was that even if your calculator had the physical space and you kept going two times two times two times two, I did the math, I go, it would take you eight months for you to finish that calculation by going two times two times two times two. And, you know, here you have another prime number way out there. And that still fascinates me. So the same things I'm fascinated by that I was fascinated in childhood still fascinating me today. And that's what I think Alfred North Whitehead was talking about that those stages don't disappear, they add on. So at generalization, it comes full circle to romance again, that romance precision are, are, are part of generalization and they all sort of uh, marry together. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 58 years old and, you know, I think of mathematics through the lens of a child. And sometimes I think of it like in a general aspect of how math can help society. And then of course, in the book, I can talk about precision, like, like very specific parts, like in the, in chapter uh, eight, I believe, where I present all these different math problems by looking at them through different uh, sort of lens, you know, that line by line sort of idea about mathematics. Um, it kind of blows me away that, you know, like, um, I know this for, for some, it might seem kind of like, okay, silly, but um, because I taught calculus, um, I can locate the tangent on a lemisca. And that that's not, that I, 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 I smile at that because uh, that, that shape, um, you could show a, uh, a five-year-old which I think means ribbon in Latin uh, or Greek, I forget. And you could actually explain to them what a uh, horizontal, they know what horizontal, a vertical and horizontal lines are. And then you could place uh, a horizontal line uh, as a tangent. You could explain tangent just to mean to touch at one point. And they would see, oh, I see those are tangent lines. Oh, that's not a tangent. So they would understand what tangent is. And yes, these kids in five, six-year-olds, could locate a horizontal tangent on the lemisca. The, and they'd be pretty close to exactly where that horizontal tangent is. But the, but the beautiful part is you need about 10 years of mathematics before you can actually locate the exact point. And, 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 that, and, and that sort of small shift of where that's pretty much where the horizontal tangent is and the exact place it is, it's almost, it's minuscule in terms of the actual distance, the delta between the points. But in that tiny delta lies the entire curriculum of mathematics to be able to do it. I've thought about that many a times, that I got lucky and I can do it. And even if you can, uh, after you uh, take the derivative of that particular function, the algebra, which is 70% of solving those optimization problems or uh, points that, or problems like that, locating tangents, um, it's algebra. And the fact that I learned 
and understood. I, I, of course, I made mistakes in terms of mistakes you would make doing algebra. That's fine. And I still make mistakes doing algebra. But what the difference is, every step that I do in algebra, I understand why I do it. I understand my intentions. And, I, and, I, and I'm very aware of that. And that, and that, that didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't uh, acquire that one day. That was over a period of time. And, you know, that, that same book I looked at as a third, at, when I was in third grade, eight years old, now that book I can read, like, of course I understand it all. So it's, 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 it's quite the journey to, uh, to understand mathematics and then the journey to appreciate those moments of it. Because if it was just about the answer, um, I don't think, we're, I don't think I'm, I'm writing books and we're not talking about, like, you know, unless the answer is uh, zero, uh, indeterminate, uh, undefined, infinity, or a specific number related to the problem. I'm not interested in the answer. The two lines, if they, when people ask, like, uh, I remember um, just uh, when I was teaching systems and, you know, kids are solving systems and they, they get the answer wrong and they come to the teacher, they come to me saying, you know, Mr. Saying, I, uh, can you see what I'm doing wrong? And I would see, and I would look at like, they're doing nothing wrong. You've made an arithmetic mistake somewhere, and that's why you're not getting the answer in the back of the book. And my job is not to be your editor. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend time, I'm not gonna waste my time because you already know how to do it. If you want to find out where you made a mistake, then go for it. But that's not my job to find your mistake. You my job is to make sure that you're on the right path, you're understanding mathematics, you understand the math. But guess what? You like me. And I will continue this. You've made a mistake at some line. And I will make those mistakes. I will never stop making those mistakes. So that's not, that's why we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. So um, yeah, maybe now is a nice time for anyone else to chime in or if there's any sort of uh, questions. Yes. Um, it's really interesting to hear other people talk about their journey with mathematics as well. And I think all too often there's this pressure for an answer and for it to be right. Especially, I think, as, as, as you mentioned, Sunil, that maybe all too often what we show our students is something that's rehearsed and practiced and step by step. So there's the expectation put upon them that's implied that they Absolutely. need to be able to look at a problem and know the exact pathway to follow. Um, and so I felt that maybe I was, I don't know, doing something a little bit wrong. I, I wouldn't tell people so openly about what I would do um, because with my classes, I would intentionally not prepare some of my harder questions. And so that they would see what it's like for somebody with a larger toolbox than them in mathematics, yeah. what it might be like when I'm trying something, I'm having a go, I'm going one pathway, what the decisions might be that I'd make and how I'd reflect on it and how I'd step back or how I'd try a different route. I'd go left instead of right. And sometimes I remember a few times, even just with... Um, the 15, 16 year olds that I'm teaching, I, I, I might look at a question and say, do you know what, this is, 
this has gone in a really interesting direction. So what I'm going to do with this one is I'm going to take it away, have a look at it separately and bring it back tomorrow because sometimes it just gets a bit too big. If you have something that diverges instead of converges, it can just, it can, it can run away with itself a bit more. But I used to do that. And then I remember our, our very first session with Mark McCourt and we were asking him about problem solving and how can we help students to become better problem solvers? And he said, articulate your thinking to them, model it for them, show them what it's like, let them hear your thinking processes, because that will help them to, to be able to, 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 to make those decisions and, and know what it's like at the same time. And I that then just, I know it sounds staffed, I felt I then had permission for this approach that I, I was using, but I think the more and the more mathematicians I speak to about it, because I think for a little while I stopped doing maths for fun. I was only yeah. doing it for work. I'd lost the romance. But the more I speak to other people who love maths, the more they do that as well. And they take those little risks. And I think I've, I've also taken the pressure off finding the answer. So when, I'm, when I pick up like a, a maths problem in a, in a book or a, a maths journal or something, and I'll look at it, I'll go, oh, that's really interesting. And I'll get stuck in and I'll spend a bit of time on it, but I'm not actually interested in finishing it. I'm just interested in getting stuck in and having a go and seeing how I can begin with it and the initial patterns I can locate and the fun side of it. I don't, I don't want to finish it. No, uh, and it's, it, yeah, and I, it reminds me of a story of Peter Harrison, who obviously is mentioned a, a lot in the book. Um, uh, he's the first person I sort of acknowledge and turn, and we're, you know, part of my journey is luck, because I, without the mentorship of Peter, um, who, even though he came to Canada from, uh, uh, England at the age of 10 he's, he still had his still has his accent and uh, he's in his I think he's late 60s now but Peter I mean he's just he's, he's just one of the remarkable uh, people I've met we still have a great friendship we have to go for a, a curry soon it's been a long too long over a year and a half but one of the things he used to do um, he used to sign these really hard problem sets to his students really hard like really hard we used to tell the students, guess what? You can get help from anybody you want. It just can't be me. So you can ask other teachers in the school, you can go outside the school, you can ask uh, you know, uh, your, your the parents, if they've got that background, siblings, uh, if you got the initiative, you can ask uh, you know, college professors or anybody. I, the only rule was you just couldn't ask them for help. Now, what do you think Peter's end game was for doing that? What did, did, it wasn't, he didn't care about the answers on this problem set. What he was interested in was, was extending the radius of mathematical conversation outside of school. Like, like that's genius. He didn't care if kids came back with perfect problem sets or like it wasn't worth a lot, but he, he did this to, um, continue a conversation about mathematics um, that well you know left the left the school building on its own um, 
And even when we were doing our uh, final summation, the thousand hour exam, or which we gave kids, you know, the 12 problems uh, and five will be on the final exam six weeks from now. That was some of the best class time I've ever seen because the kids would be excited to come to class after lunch. They'd had, they were lining up even like before class started because they knew that date. <laughs> they got to work on these problems like with each other. And there'd be like kids at the board and there'd be kids sitting in groups. There'd be kids sitting like isolation because working on their own. That's what mathematics looked like. Like it, 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 it's, it's not just a solitary thing. It's not always group work. It's not always this. It's, it's a whole bunch of things. And it was, and for Peter and myself, those conversations were the best part about the mathematics, the student discourse about the problem, the back and forth, the kind of the humming and hawing, the erasing of the board, the, you know, the erase. Anytime I saw erasing, that was the best part. I love seeing erasing because that means they're starting from scratch again. Right? Just I, my son was making crepes this morning for the first time. First time. I, I make crepes. I still make. It's it's one of those things you got to flip at the right time and all that. And he's making it the first time. I go, Aiden. Before you start, because he had to videotape it for his class, food nutrition class. I go, let's just do a couple of practice ones first. And he goes, well, I know how to do it. He goes, I know, just let's, I go, you know how you're gonna be a good cook one day? That you made a lot of mistakes. Like, I hope you mess, I, don't get me wrong. I want you to do well in this assignment, but part of me hopes you really mess up these crepes. And they, he didn't, they were actually really good the first time, um, but, uh, unfortunately as you mentioned like we present a model which is like as soon as kids get a problem they have to have like within certain time frame I better have an idea ready or I guess I'm not good at math right but no I mean if you're stuck and the longer you're stuck and stick to being stuck you are actually that is demonstrating that mathematical resilience that, okay, there's no progress. Are you still at it? Yeah. I, I don't know. Something's not making sense to me. And you're just going, okay, wow. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's so good. Right? Like that's your, your mathematical maturity will catch up. Trust me. But the part which will be hard, the, 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 the habit, which will be hard to form later is that sort of patience for irresolution. That's not going to, you won't be able to buy that anywhere later. Right. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of good students become average students because they were really fast in the beginning. And that was, they, they thought that was a good thing. And, but then when mathematics became more complicated, they got frustrated by the fact that their speed was slowing down. Um, because they put too much stock into it. I think um, just listening to that, it's really interesting um, for me, sort of where that mass anxiety kicks in, and this idea of sort of not wanting to fail and, and not, not having that um, same patience um, sometimes. And I'm making a comparison in my mind with um, with a sort of sporting scenario where um, I, I have my, my little boy and he'll play, play a sports and he's, 
he's very happy to win some and lose some in his sports. However, when it comes to a math problem, um, so he's six, um, but it comes to that math problem, he has this sort of um, bit of fear almost of, of not wanting to get it wrong. And, and the eraser is his enemy. And, and I'm, I'm the same as you. I really like the point where we erase it because we've learned something. We erase it and it's, um, and it's all very low stakes. It's um, important, but it's not urgent. And, and we can just come back to it another time. Um, but for him, it's really important and immediate. However, in a sports environment, it's um, very different and, and failure is sort of embraced. And I'm just really interested in to, sort of at such a year, early age where where I can sort of support that or, or with the students I'm teaching what we can do. Um, and there's been a comment in the, in the Twitter about organic teaching as well and, and how we can sort of maybe we can elaborate a little bit on, on what organic teaching looks like and how we can start to foster this, um, this passion, this romance and, um, and, and, and this patience, as you say, the habits of patience. Well, I think the, uh, you know, because of a confluence of a lot of things, I mean, pandemic and just, uh, you know, the way that we've taught mathematics or education in general, um, you know, a lot of the things that we do are just um, out of date. I mean, we went through a period where we had analog teachers teaching digital teens. I mean, uh, teenagers learn differently. They a lot of them are learning not because of education, but in spite of it. Um, and so the, the curiosity factor to me is the most important thing to uh, engender early on. And uh, organic teaching for me, you have to look at the long, long game. Like you understand that this is not like, you're not looking for instantaneous success. And the one thing which I think is that when your students come to your classroom, did they, did they leave a little bit more curious? That's it. Because I bet you if you if you had yes to that every day, or they said yes to that every day in a maths class for their, their entire career, all that mathematical content knowledge would be there. It would. We had this fear that we have to teach kids, like, you know, for example, like, you know, let's say, a, a, three-digit addition uh, uh, by a certain age. Do you not think for one second that a child would ask how to do that question? Like we've taken, they, they become passive learners. Kids are super curious. Like, okay, they can, they know how to do four plus six and all that. And they can start to do uh, uh, numbers like, you know, eight plus seven, but now they can't use their hands anymore. Uh, and just an aside to that, uh, one of the ways I would introduce, I think is a really organic way of introducing a topic is not to introduce it directly, but introduce it very whimsically and cryptically. So if a student was asked what's nine plus three, okay, they can count in their head and they go, it's 12. But I would ask a student, I want you to show me nine plus three using your fingers. So I, I, just show me how, you, so of course they'd put up, you know, uh, they'd count to nine know and then they'd probably go 10 and then they would close both hands and go 11 12 and i go stop now if i just took a picture of this people would think that they're they've counted two but they've actually counted 12 so this would be my way of introducing modular mathematics because it's mod 10. so what i've learned through time okay, I wasn't like this as a first year teacher. Are you kidding me? And that, and I would never want to be that teacher to begin. Like a lot of people think, okay, I wish I had 
spin this thing or no that's that's life you you that's what age and wisdom does i don't want to have age and wisdom at 19. i want to be a foolish teenager making a whole bunch of foolish mistakes that's life so the 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 idea of you know that that organic piece is just how you would talk about anything to a human being like through curiosity so through that lens of curiosity because i mean <laughs> i i i for i for one find it very difficult how people cannot be curious in general but even mathematics like we've gotten to that stage where you talk about david talking about anxiety and in the book i talk about um peter taylor uh who was peter harrison's mentor who's still teaching at queen's university here uh, about two and a half hours from where i live um he said alienation occurs before anxiety that kids become disassociated with mathematics early on and the anxiety builds in when math becomes more mathematics becomes more complicated because they've stopped they'd stop paying attention the, the the stakes weren't high when they were early on and they just this mathematics isn't for me stop paying attention to it and alienation is the precursor to anxiety in fact if i could use a medical term anxiety is the metastasis of alienation it's the undiagnosed math issue and again alienation alienation is is related to elementary and alienation is because there was no romance mm -hmm. and now they feel guilty that they're not good at mathematics why don't i like mathematics they feel it's 100 percent their fault and that's one extra psychological social emotional thing that these children have to take on which is so not true and how much dysfunction that does to one's self-esteem and just other things too it just gets more it, it it it's really a tough thing to really overcome because anxiety leads to trauma you know imagine imagine uh not being able to do mathematics or struggling with it and being in a math classroom math classroom every day and then being judged and assessed and having numbers of scores and tests coming at you and fail and all that i think that's traumatic and so the the shakespearean tragedy irony of this is that mathematics is the exact opposite that you know that's why i said it actually can create this place of wellness where you just kind of you know moon over mathematics just randomly and i can i mean i just i mean everything about mathematics every day i've spent some i'm learning something new about mathematics i'll i'll probably learn something new tonight i'll just google something about a number or a pattern or something i don't know but um i still do that I'm going to bring in a bit of Paul Lockhart. I'm a huge fan of his books as well. Um, a Mathematician's Lament. And I think in, in it, he almost says, like, doesn't even believe in mass anxiety. If you present mathematics in its oh, rawest, yeah. most natural state to well, children. Um, and, you know, he gives the example of you don't get, expect children to be perfect, 100 perfect at language for them to write poetry and stories. They can do that. You know, we encourage them at a young age, uh, but we somehow don't encourage them to get things wrong and play with maths and it's and get things as wrong as possible and then converge into something or find other pathways and and so on yeah we well it's I, it's 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 nice that you brought up paul lockhart and that specific example with the um 
you know, writing because I told my own daughter, who she's a really good writer, um, the first uh, uh, piece of the biggest piece of advice I can give you about writing, Rhea, don't worry about the grammar. Just write. Don't worry about periods and, and commas and just write, get your flow going. Right? Of course, because the precision will come later. But what does she add? But, but they, but precision is asked, was asked of her early on. Like, you know, a proper grammatical structure and sentence and things like that. I don't know. That would probably kill my interest in writing. Right. So the answer is strangely simple. I don't know if our system and, you know, the fact that we have a pedagogical heavyweight offer North Whitehead, who was not only a you know, he wrote the aims of education, but he also co-wrote Principia Mathematica with Bertrand Russell in 1910, 1913. And that book is number 23 in modern libraries, top 100 nonfiction books of all time. And it's like, there's a joke that only six people have actually read it because it's all sort of modern symbolic logic. Everything is sort of um, uh, deduced uh, from like scratch, like, you know, one plus one equals two. So he have, he's, a, he's a mathematical heavyweight and he said some pretty powerful things about learning in general. And the one which really, again, it's all true. Uh, uh, inert knowledge is not only uh, not beneficial, it's also harmful. And what he meant by that is that if you give kids too much inert knowledge in which they, there's no application for it outside of it, just its own knowledge, is that the kids will actually have a disdain for knowledge without without actually possessing any knowledge. So it's it's all for naught. Education and, and mathematics, it's all for naught. So you can have all the guidelines, you can have all the expectations and all the benchmarks, all these things met. But it's only it's transient because the kids will forget mathematics. Why do you have review in mathematics in September? Isn't the definition of learning that you don't forget it? Well, because they never learned it. Like that's, that's the running joke that, you know, I, I, I know how to tie my shoelaces. I know how to cook. I know how to ride a bike. I know how to drive a car because I've learned these things through practice. And, you know, I, well, the mathematics hasn't been learned if they forget everything, right? So we were, it's, it's all for naught by the time they exit. Like, I mean, how many people, if I wasn't a, uh, interested in math education or a mathematics teacher, how much math, and Paul Lockhart talks about this too, how much mathematics would I have remembered? You know, as he said, kids have vague memories of quadratic formulas, but they have clear memories of hating them. That's, that's, a, that's, 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 that's the reality. And we don't address that alpha in the room too well because we're still doing the same things, kind of. So unless a lot of these ideas that we've been talking about can make in the classroom organic conversations, organic teaching, uh, real life problem solving in front of your students, failing in front of your students, not failing to show them, hey, you know what? Because failure has been the, slow failure has been the, the, the predominant theme of math, mathematics for its entire history. What do we do in school? What do we expect in school? Fast success. So good luck squaring that circle. It made me think a lot then about it's, it's making me reflect in different ways and thinking, okay, well, when it comes to music, 
uh, we wouldn't expect somebody who's composing a piece to suddenly, you know, Beethoven didn't write any of his symphonies um, absolutely perfectly first time round. He wasn't able to just recite it onto a page. Well, he can't recite it because it hadn't been, dis you know, he hadn't in he hadn't yet composed it. But it would have gone through a tremendous amount of work and processes and different layers, pop songs, anything like that. You know, when it comes to music, it's allowed. You're yes. allowed to pick up your instrument. You're allowed to squeak when you're playing your saxophone accidentally. You're allowed to practice um, mm. uh, 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 how you, the order in which you, you, you play the keys on a piano or, all of these things are allowed. I think that you mentioned earlier as well, Dave, as well, didn't you, about sport. It's allowed. It's in, in rock climbing, um, people will, I see it because my, my, my children rock climb. Other people in the room will make suggestions when they come back down, oh, well, that didn't quite work. Have you tried this hold here instead? And they go, oh, great idea. Let me have another go. It's never seen as a failure or a negative. And it's trying just, just change that narrative isn't it as you say to put put that fun that that romance back into it yes precision matters when it comes to your toolbox and you're practicing all yeah. these things and you you want to put all of those layers in there because you want you, that thirst for knowledge and you want to be able to go back and tackle that problem or be able to access something new but we've got to be able to to fail <laughs> A lot. Fail in also failure and creativity are linked together because in that in the book I talk about the one of the problems in that thousand hour exam where you had to find the side of the square and you had three points, three, four, and five units away from the three of the four vertices, point P, and with that minimal information, find the side of the square. And one of the solutions was absolutely brilliant um, was the rotation of a triangle outside. And then that was the first move. And then you, and then there's still about so much work to do left, which is high school trigonometry. But that was anticlimactic because for me, everything was about that first move, was about that clever uh, insight. And I've, I've been like that with mathematics myself. Like, um, you know, I, I like trig identities and I like challenging ones, but I, I don't finish them because once I understand I've found that uh, whether it's, uh, you know, getting a common denominator, whether it's a factoring or factoring a negative sign or something tricky. And then I realize, oh, okay, it looks like I'm gonna get the answer. I stop. And which goes back to something very important about um, mathematics, which is related to play, which I talked about in my second book, Math Recess. If you look at the actual uh, psychological definition of play, and there's like these, all these bullet points about what makes play pure play um, is that play is voluntary. So voluntary also not only to come into to play, but also voluntary to leave. And we have this stigma that if there's a problem, you should finish it. Do you have problems I never finished? Like it wasn't like uh, like I didn't feel like any slight, like, okay, I go, there's one problem I just won't do or, or can't do. I put my own time into it. 
that I felt was valuable. And did I, should I sit there for like X number of hours or days just to prove a point that I got it right? No. But all, all the power to the people who, who cracked this one, I'm not feeling like, you know, less of myself. I, I, I'm completely happy with what I did. And, and I think that's another thing about me and mathematics is that I'm free to come and go. Good lovely comment on YouTube. As Brian Eno says, art is how we embrace uncertainty. That's, there, there you go. I love that quote. Art is how we, oh, I love that quote. I'm gonna, it's on, it's on Twitter, right? So I will, I will, I will definitely capture it and retweet that. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned very early on, I mean, I was making some notes while you're talking and we could go on all sorts of tangents, um, but and I've made some notes, but um, you mentioned, yeah, like just from a practical point of view, uh, just the, the very history of mathematics the story, the narrative is f absolutely fascinating. And I'd always like to go back to the original source. Um, like, you know, I looked up the book Liberabachi, for example, and I'm just scanning, it's available digitally. And like, yeah. all, all books, like people talk, for example, people talk about the theory of evolution, but very few people have actually read the original book by, by Darwin, I've got it in my Kindle. Um, and it's, it's great to have this, like, you know, I think Paul Mark, Paul Lockhart calls that thematic history. So, like thematic the numbers history. have a very fascinating thematic history. Yeah, I see some and, like, and, and, hmm. and you know what's 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 lost in that story too is that you have, you know, Leonardo of Pisa, uh, thirteen at the time. Fibonacci was the name given to him later on. Um, uh, is that he he's he's tagging along with his father on a business trip to Bugia, uh, northern port in Algeria. So he happens to be at the right place at the right time because all the stuff coming up the Silk Road was not just, you know, uh, goods, but also intellectual knowledge was gone through um, the House of Wisdom uh, in Baghdad, um, you know, which was sort of equivalent to the House of Alexandria. And all this intellectual knowledge, which had come, and that knowledge had come from India and China and the mathematics. And you got this 13 year old teenager being in the right place at the right time. And what kids, well, even teachers, I guess, fail to understand is every piece of mathematics was at one point not understood. So questions like racial proportion, which we take for granted, at that at that time, uh, merchants and tradespeople couldn't do that problem. They would take that problem to a special cleric or whatever, and they'd be responsible for making the calculations. And you've had, you know, Leonardo Pisa basically the, to the arithmetic that he came across, found all these ways where now, that's why this book, book became so popular, is that anybody could do it. And he, he, they would show you how. And algebra, you know, we always talk about, okay, well, algebra, who, like, who needs algebra and all that? You know, it, it was born out of practicality. It was born out of, you know, uh, situations of inheritance, of commerce, trade, that's where, if you look at the original problems uh, of Al Crismi, um, it, it's all based on that. And 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 then again, the people we think of algebra is like uh, with symbols, that came later with Descartes. But algebraic thinking and algebraic problem solving, algebraic ideas, we didn't have the symbology yet. They were like like long texts, but the algebraic thinking of what to do, 
to isolate for the unknown in question. That was the algebra. And if you don't tell any of these stories, then most kids will think that mathematics was dropped off by aliens in a test tube on a beach a hundred years ago. Why else would, well, ask kids where math comes from. I bet you half the kids will, it comes from a textbook. Like if we, if, 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 if you're teaching mathematics and half the kids think that mathematics is not a human construct and not a human construct of every race, uh, civilization, culture, hunter, gatherer, tribe, then you've wasted a lot of time. That's the first thing that should be acknowledged and acknowledged throughout is that this is and has been a historical um, uh, journey by every, like everybody who's ever existed. Like it is, the, it is truly the universal language. And every culture, like I said, has, has, has had contributions and has been equally fascinated by mathematics. Fantastic. Yeah, wow. I just, it makes me think back to um, what Mary Myatt was saying and, and says about learning through stories and how that, that really, really helps to convey message and, and meaning. And, and as you were just saying there, Sunil, and, and you, you started the conversation with that thread at all. It's, maths is this huge story with all of these complex intertwined threads. It's, it's not just something that's been printed in a book. There's so much history behind it. it it's difficult to know where to start, I think, oh. with, with sharing it. So you don't, you don't get too distracted from the maths. But I think it's, I don't know enough about the history and where it comes from. You know, I'm pretty good at the processes. Um, so that's, I think I, that, that layer is important that I, I I read up on it more and I'm able to convey at least a small amount of that. And, you know, one of the things and just to, in terms of the, the, the minutes that we have, um, Dan Finkel's uh, TED talk, um, Five Extraordinary pa Practices of uh, Mathematical Teaching, which I think is the number one TED talk now. And Dan, uh, he wrote the forward of my second book. The third practice, the third bullet point of the five extraordinary practices. Your job is not to be the answer key. Now that's a bit dislodging for a lot of math teachers saying, well, what do you mean my job is not the answer key? Don't we want our teachers to be proficient and all that? I would say yes. I also say no simultaneously. I'm more interested in the teacher who's interested in finding the answer than the teacher who possesses it. And I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is if my, and I use this story as an example sometimes, um, let, let's say my son and the, they're, they're now older, but um, my daughter, let's say was gonna have a third grade teacher and she had a choice of two teachers, one who had a mathematics background, university degree, a little bit of old school, uh, well-intentioned, um, but was really, you know, kind of strict and in the precisions, to, but definitely had a math background. Another teacher was her first year teaching and she came from a humanities arts background, uh, which meant it was her first year teaching third grade mathematics. Um, but if she went to uh, my daughter in my daughter's class and said, you know, this is my first year teaching, which means my first year teaching third grade mathematics, 
How about we learn third grade mathematics together? Every single lifetime, my daughter's going in that class. Every single time. I don't care how many mistakes this teacher makes, but I know in the long run, that whole disarming quality and sort of care and idea of wanting human relationships to be at least side by side with the learning. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I want my kids to be. So it, it, this, it, this is all accessible. We just have to let go of certain things, like literally like, like lighten our weight. Like we're, we're so like, like, we must have bad postures metaphorically because of how much weight we carry of our expectations as teachers and educators. Just have to let go of a lot of things because that's not how mathematics was explored or enjoyed. Right. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, I'm just at risk here of just sitting and listening all, all evening and then forgetting um, to get involved in the, in, the, in the other aspects of what we're doing as well. So um, I think it would be quite nice to start um, bringing in some people's takeaways as well and, and seeing how that that um, rounds off the session and, 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 and the direction of travel for these for these last for this last bit um yeah. as you can, i'm just i'm sorry i'm just absolutely you can see i'm deep in thought here um dave would you like to start and then maybe um we'll come around to you as well Ethel, if that's okay for some some ways to round off the session it's just covered so much ground over to you dave Oh, thank you. Um, and yeah, I mean, massive compliments um, in, in me saying that the second half of that session, I don't think I've been quieter as I was just sort of absorbing. And there were these silences where usually I'd come in and I, I'd um, I sort of think about how, how I could manage the room, what questions could I ask? And I was just like, oh no, I just want to listen. I just want to listen to this next bit. So it's been, oh, it's been wonderful. Um, a few of my takeaways that I've just been jotting down notes, you've probably seen me with head down at times um, here. Uh, the first the first stage is romance. Um, the the idea that precision is important, but we don't rush to precision. Um, I think those those are really sticking in my mind. Um, you don't have to be good at something to like it. Um, I thought about why I went into math teaching, and it was that that idea of what what would I be good at was what was driving my decisions. I'm not saying for a second I'm a good math teacher, but it was driving my decisions as to as to where I wanted to go. And um, and I was really lucky that I found my passion. Um, I think. Um, but well, I'll just I'll just quickly interrupt you because I have, quote, I have a quote. Um, even though I've written three books, um, there's a couple. There's two things I've 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 written which I go, Sneil, that was actually a good quote. So regarding the don't have to like it, um, what I wrote was, if your ability, if your love of mathematics ever gets eclipsed by your ability of mathematics, so if your love of mathematics is ever eclipsed by your ability, then both will be doomed. I love that quote. That's brilliant. I, I, I need to write that down. I might listen. I'm going to have to listen to this back again, aren't I, and, uh, and get those. Um, oh, it's, it's awesome. Um, and another thing that, that stood out for me was uh, around that um, the anxiety and, and alienation comes before anxiety, and, and sort of thinking about just um, supporting my students in my classes to feel a little bit more curious every day, um, and and how how what 
I think I was focused at the beginning of the session on what can we do to reduce or, or domesticate the, the, the mass anxiety. And, and now, for me, I, I have a, a different mindset uh, about that. And, and that session has really helped me um, to, to frame um, that we're just going to look at the curiosity and we're going to think about how we support our students to be a little bit more curious each day. That was important for me. Um, and, and the idea of um, patience being a habit, and, and that's a harder a thing to, to develop than the um, than sort of your, your mathematical maturity, I think you said, but that, that really stuck with me yeah. as well. So, um, that, so just to interrupt you again, right. so that, here's, yeah. my sec, here's my second quote. I've got, uh, it, there's two quotes that I'll have for my life. So the first one, so the second one is, uh, patience is not your ability to wait, it's your attitude while you wait. Oh, it's lovely. Yes, I mean, I mean, this is just say it's so more articulate than I um, as I, oh, I go through these like, points. I love that. I love that so much. Um, and and it was just the, the idea that the failure and creativity being linked together. Um, is something that I like. I love that. Even. That was that, I like that one a lot, Brian. Eno. that was a good quote. I love that. So good. So good. Oh, what what's the session? This is Vincent. Thank you so much for your time. I'll, I'll hand over to Atoll and and Marie to, to sort of share their takeaways also but, but yeah i've got well, as you can see i've got so much of that that's just the, the sort of surface of, of what i'm taking away tonight thanks dave that's sort of incredible like a summary and takeaway um there's um there's a few comments coming in from um I'll, I'll just acknowledge some people who are out there on social media shivanand who's a teacher in india who's uh in delhi who's up at one o'clock listening to it wow. for, the, for the love of mathematics so he's on twitter so thank you for doing that um I've got D on uh, Facebook and uh, Kem's been also commenting. Uh, uh, thanks for your ideas, Kem, especially on getting uh, Colin Foster and Frank Com on math syllabus based on storytelling. There's loads of loads of good things in there as well. Um, so something for me to follow up. Uh, but really, yeah, I mean, probably not much more to add there from what you've already a very succinct summary um the, the only things i suppose that sort of appeal to me is uh um the history side of mathematics uh it's naturally so beautiful and so rich that it doesn't need to be made um fun or interesting it is oh, already fun yeah. and interesting you just look it up uh, and um if there is one thing I want any teacher or tutor who whoever teaches maths takeaways like one of the things you guys said right at the right at the beginning was um, that you must show your vulnerability at struggling through slogging through a maths problem because that's actually what mathematicians do um, I like to show this video to my students um, I think it's called beauty is suffering part one is a mathematician and it shows mm. um, Andrew Wiles is very very emotional passionate story on working this on Fermat's last problem and you know that there there's, hasn't been around a solution for hundreds of years and he's still working at it and he forgets to eat and his wife's calling him up and he says I I figured it out and and wife thinks of something like um, he's found a solution to something else or like a problem right. at home uh, but it's actually the, the Fermat's last year on one and uh, and I, I'm in a fortunate position. I do one-on-one -on -one tutoring, and I've got a further math student, and I'm having to relearn re it. But I'm relearning. I was very honest with him. I've been teaching him for three, four years, and I said, "Well, you know, I've forgotten this stuff, uh, but I kind of need you to just uh, hit me. I literally tell, just hit me with that question. Uh, of course, he can email me and tell me what he's stuck at. But I said, I just want you to hit me live with that question, and I will, I will show you how 
I'll <laughs> like wriggle my way out of it, or maybe I can't. And then uh, sometime I'm over at Wolfram Alpha, finding the answer first and kind of reverse engineering it. But I think all of this stuff is, is so important, yeah. And I think the, uh, I, did, I failed to mention this, I know, but it's also important, which, which humanizes mathematics. And I did tweet this out a while back, is that all, I have various emotions about mathematics. I love mathematics. There's like lots of things I love about it. There's parts I like mathematics, like it's, it's okay. There's parts I dislike and there's parts I actually, I hate. Like I'm not, it's like food. Like how can you like every kind of food? Do you have your preferences? So we, we, we as teachers, we don't present mathematics in the most human way that like everything about mathematics, like for example, like, you know, uh, even though I mentioned trig proofs, um, I. I generally, I mean, especially when you have to draw your the trig functions by hand and phase shifts and things like that, and or just the, the just the transformations of exponential functions. I just, I just don't care. I don't care. I, I that's me. Somebody else might, but I don't. And when you show that honesty or whatever, and I go, look, can we just get through this, please, please, please? Then they're going to believe you when something you're really excited about. And we always, it's like, it's like we create this really long mid-range of everything is wonderful and then we also don't talk about other parts of ourselves that's like you know like i i like mathematics as much as i as i said other things and i would you would see that same emotion so when you actually bring mathematics down into the regular stream of life's consciousness everything else that's when you elevate it when you when you elevate it all the time it's tiring and it's actually going to like kids are not going to believe you like oh, okay i don't think math is as great as you think it is but when you when you humanize it it actually will elevate by itself the story tells itself wow i i don't quite know how to follow up on all of that guys you've covered so much this evening um um and so mine are just things like i suppose key words for me now it's reminding myself about curiosity and and romance and intrigue and also I think to be genuine and authentic so instead of trying instead of now going away and trying to find out all these amazing things about mathematics and sharing them all because they're all amazing it's okay let's just remind myself of the one or two things that I truly find amazing and I'm intrigued by and be genuine about that rather than contriving something because kids will see right through it oh. and so see a genuine sort of that, that geeky curiosity of knowing something in an immense detail I imagine is just going to be so much more interesting for the for people I'm talking to because the passion you exude in, in when when you do something like that is so much more intense and real. I mean, I was just thinking tonight about if you talk to Catherine at arithmetic about I think it's Pythagoras. <laughs> She's hugely passionate about Pythagoras. So you know, and, and and it doesn't. She'll know lots an immense amount of other things as well. But that is one thing that I know she said before now that she can talk at great length about and, and loves the details in the history. So Fabulous. I think that would be, for me, I just, I'm gonna see, I'm just gonna dig a bit deeper and, and 
and find that that bit that romance again to help with that genuine curiosity rather than being the air hostess everything's amazing <laughs> so thank you so much for this evening it is just absolutely incredible um struggling to string sentences together i think because my brain is just linking so many different things up and i really 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 appreciate it and and being able to pick up your book and find my own enjoyment out of it as well not studying it but enjoying getting involved with it and i just wanted to say a huge thank you for that and for for your time and everything you've shared with us all and and you know just as joe bowler wrote in the forward which i think is really i mean it's a wonderful forward and he, but she, she just said it right in her first paragraph like what is your story like that's really what the book is about is finding your voice your story finding opportunity to share it um and as sort of dave said you know uh maybe just sort of uh creating a uh, not a different personality but just something you know uh, and that's the other thing too is that um in my days of teaching um we only have one voice so how I was in the classroom was how I was outside the classroom, was how I am in the home. And I would tell the students the same thing. Like, I don't want to see a fake personality in here. I don't want to be outside. I catch you in the hallway and I get this, you're laughing and you've got a different personality. I don't want to hear about high school drama or any F-bombs or things like that. But if learning is going to stick with you, I need to see yourself. Well, if you're going to show yourself, which means I have to create a safe, and disarming environment. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things which we have to have in place for the mathematics to take hold, um, but they become intertwined eventually and then it just becomes effortless. Thank you. I, I, I think that's a brilliant note for us this evening. Um, you've been incredible, Sunil. Thank you so much. And oh, I've loved I've really, this has been wonderful. And like I said, um, you know, I'd love to, you know, come back on anytime, maybe a year from now, you know, <laughs> you know, we're, because I mean, the book, it's been out, but I mean, it's, 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 you know, we'll see where we are, what, what has been adopted, what has sort of changed in the math education landscape, all these things. I mean, you know, even digging specifically into certain ideas of the book, um, because, you know, we, we, we kind of, we're all around it and there was some good referencing, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to come on again and it'd be wonderful to see where we are in 2023. That would be brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Atul. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Atul. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dave. Absolutely. My absolute pleasure. And you're very welcome to come back. And that's one of my visions behind, uh, I mean, I was an online tutoring geek teaching students all over the world before, well before the pandemic. And for me, the um, uh, I realized I could use these skill sets in hosting things like this and just the power of getting you from the from the States uh, live uh, in Bristol, Dave, and, and the Wales uh, border and myself in London. Uh, the, the things we can now accomplish uh, yeah. is, is phenomenal. And uh, I'm just, I'm in awe of the company now I can have uh, with you all. And I you know, run Mass Chat Live for selfish reasons, basically to be in your company and people I really admire and respect and people I may not know and then we, uh, become friends. So. Um, so yeah, what's uh, 
a huge round of thank you again uh, there'll be a recording of this it's a live stream so people can watch it i'll put an audio one as well and i'll give you um, the book club as well an audio recording that you can use and uh, so it's all out there and the conversation it never really ends because we have this on uh, on YouTube and Twitter. So if you have a question that's come up later, you're watching this on a replay, put a question. We'll do our, we'll do our best to answer. Um, so brilliant. I'll end the stream now and then we can we'll stay on the Zoom call for a little bit, uh, just the four of us, and then we can have a quick debrief and finish. So I'll uh, yeah, thank you everyone, and I'll stop the stream. But now just do a quick wave. And